This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller, his guy Friday Christian Blatt, and superstar producer Lindsay Floyd. And now, it's him, Dennis Miller. Hey folks, welcome to the Dennis Miller Option. You um, have opted holiday. in. <gasps> um, <laughs> what Christian too, too much? Is it, is no, it, no. Just trying to amp it up? No, Whoa. no. Come, Come on. Closers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you been watching The Crown, by the way? You know, I have not. Uh, I, I barely turned Did on my TV. Did you watch the first two seasons? Yes. I And I have not. With uh, all the shit that you watch. What, there's, hey. no, there's no Ultron in it or no uh, uh, Watchmen. I, I have seen all three episodes of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, which I know. is the Boba no Fett doubt. show. No doubt. No you're, doubt. You're, I've, you, I've you written. You go around to college campuses and do a PowerPoint <laughs> session to breakout groups about the the Mandalorians. Uh, well, it's much like Hemingway. Uh, <laughs> like, was he hurt in World War One with the Klingons? What the fuck are you watching? <laughs> uh, a lot of kids programming too, though. If you want to know what the Paw Patrol is up to, I can tell you. Your kids, I tell you, the way you feed on this shit, your kids will look up at you before you quit and say, "Hey, what are we doing here?" We get it. Tony Stark's got a, more of a heart than anybody with an actual heart. We get it. Let's can we watch some The Crown? That's true. <laughs> my, my 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 son's a big uh, Claire Foy guy though, so I don't know if he's going to be uh, into the new season. How do they uh how do they bring Tony Stark back in the future? Now you know it's going to happen. People are say, "Oh, Tony Stark's dead," but eventually Robert's going to uh, he'll come in some sort of 3D visit to the new Tony Stark. Yeah. So how do they get the circumstances so that the uh, – how's about this? How's about this? The kid transitions from regular man to Iron Man. Like he feels he's a regular man or an Iron Man trapped in a regular man's body. But aren't we all? And down the road, he gets a uh, operation – that I pay for somehow. <laughs> it's the only way that John Favreau calls me and says, I want you in the movie. And I go, what's that? And he says, you're the asshole who writes the check <laughs> for Tony Stark the 15th and uh, his uh, aide de camp, uh, Tenzig Norgay the 40th. And, and, uh, and we, uh, wait a second. I'm working on something here. You sure are. cross-promote and sell operations to become Iron Man on Goop. <laughs> this doesn't... All right. Just loosen it up. That's good. What are we doing today, you magnificent jag-off? We've got uh, Ben Mankiewicz is uh, going to call in a little way. Oh, wow. Oh, beautiful. Talk a little films. I'm doing something on Friday nights this month. I think four of the five have appeared, and lucky for me, November yielded five Friday nights, so I have a fifth one coming up with Mr. Leno on Friday night. Jay surprisingly chose not the funniest of films. He likes the concept of facing the crowd. What are the other two films, Christian? Can you look them up? Uh, yeah, let me look them up. I'll tell you. But Jay, uh, surprisingly uh, serious film watcher. Whereas Carvey just came in and tore it up with Jason and the Argonauts, Soylent Green, uh, the Beatles. Uh, Jay was more... Uh, so, uh, yes, you mentioned a face in the crowd. Uh, Kajimushu, the Shadow <laughs> Warrior. Ah, yeah, what's with that? What's with these shotguns? Yeah. Sullivan's uh, Travels and Marty. Jay likes to talk to the people. He's just a regular guy. Hey, he used to high-five that whole front row of his audience every night. I'm just a regular guy. I've never seen you high-five anyone. I remember Jay called me once, and he said, listen, we had a tour group in from um, Cheney's Hidden Hiding Spot. We don't even know where they were. And I high-fived the entire first row, and over the weekend, I grew web hands. <laughs> and uh, he said... Uh, I said, what, what do you mean, Jay? He said, I have hands a la orange. A la orange. I said, duck web finger. He said, well, I call them hands a la orange. Um, have you ever been to La Mille Louis in Paris? No. 
think they have Doc Galarange there. If you take uh, your wife to Paris, or she opts to have an affair, while I have you working long hours. Much more know, likely. Dennis the, Miller, yeah, the Wish scenario. Fulfillment Center yeah. out in Kenosha. Uh, <laughs> remember you passed out on the floor last year, and you're in fetal position. Your other co-workers uh, actually picked you up and put you in one of the baskets oh. on the... Uh, the uh, What's that thing called? The assembly line apparatus that brings you to the front desk. You were uh, boxed, taped, and sent out to a couple in Colorado Springs, Colorado, mm -hmm. as a wishnik. And they <laughs> ironically did not return you. They said your child loved you. Yeah, that's true. Your child I loved you. <laughs> Sorry, folks, I'm, I'm a regular modern-day Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> Thanks for jumping in. Jesus, after the, the bit is dead, yeah. buried, no, no, no. under Buddhist beliefs, back up and running again, Look, dead in its second life, buried, back up again. I was a handmaiden for the queen. <laughs> dead, buried again. All of a sudden, you come in with a fucking Teddy Ruxpin yeah. patch up that you could have thrown me. Did you not hear me floundering? Look, I come in huh? after the rocket. Christ, it was like the immediate wake of the Titanic. I was going down. After the rocket has exploded. Down, down, <laughs> down, down, down. And they clean up the rubble. Then I'm like, hey, we should have probably looked at the O-rings. <laughs> the O-rings. Oh, my God. Isn't that funny that I, I remember that episode of the Flintstones where uh, Barney <laughs> Rubble went to what was then Pittsburgh. It was called Pittstone. Right. And uh, Robert Jarvik's great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> Um, put the Jarvik, I don't think it was the Jarvik 7 heart. No, not yet. At that point. I think it was the Jarvik negative 2. It was an integer uh, aorta. Yeah. And they put it into Barney because he was having some trouble. And uh, the, uh, why did I start that? <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, oh, rubble, yeah. rubble. Yeah. Yeah, and the O-rings blew out on the heart and there was a lot of rubble in the chest cavity. I believe that was the Jarvik IV. <laughs> I guess a little bit. See, this is this is the danger yeah. of running a podcast. Just, I earlier chided you yeah. for the late arriving Teddy Ruxpin. So then so now you got in timely with something that completely fucking short circuited me, and I no, have no idea what the, the Jarvik IV. Do you know who Robert Jarvik is? You yeah, know? he made the uh, artificial heart, and I'm using Roman numerals because it was a long time ago. Give me some other heart surgeons. Uh, Tony Stark. <laughs> mm -hmm. exactly. He fixed his own heart, so uh, I do believe he ben qualifies. Cooley. Yep. Who was the South African who had the uh, rheumatoid arthritis in his hands? Trevor okay. Noah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's the only South African I know. What did I, I've tried to get on Trevor Noah like three times, and he's passed. Should I be insulted? But I used to be able to get on with John, but I guess Trevor's not. Well, a fan. the difference is that John understands comedy. And, uh, you know, well, Trevor Noah is huge, right? He is. Yeah. He's, uh, isn't he bigger ratings than John? I read, uh, I, I haven't heard that, but, uh, if you read it, I, I'm, I'm sure you're keeping a, a better eye on it than I am, but oh, I, I think he's Jesus, but better. eye. <laughs> Christ, I'm like somebody on blow at the imaginal okay. line. I was always a, listen, my shot, my, uh, my bitterness about others doing well, <laughs> Is a relentless sentry. It knows no sleep. <laughs> I'm like Elvis in Germany when they introduced me to Greenies. I'm up all night. Look, I don't follow the Daily Show. I was more of a Kilborn guy, okay? <laughs> I've never seen Trevor Noah except on clips and... Uh... But I remember hearing at the beginning that he was not. Uh, is he funny? Is he? He does stand up, right? Doesn't he have a Netflix special? Yeah, and I think he. It, one thing that he does, from what I hear, is that his uh, Netflix specials aren't uh, politics heavy. They're, uh, you know, about sort of, you know, other things. And uh, I mm -hmm. think that that probably helps. Wow, that interests me. I want to watch that. What else would? He, it seems like his uh, grasp on the culture is about political stuff. Yeah. So you mean he comes out and does? Uh, you ever notice about? Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> When I was a kid, he's got five minutes. <laughs> he, from South he is from South Africa, yeah. I remember I did a joke once that got booed. This is maybe the intro to political correctness where he said Prime Minister Botha 
Ooh, what good is it? <laughs> Robert. Oh, don't um, be afraid. Every time Robin was stumped for a second, even with me alone, when we were out, I'd go, Robo. Oh, Prime Minister Bo. I said, oh, you're fucking friend. Stop with the Prime Minister both at that. Pochos, pochos, golly. <laughs> that was a riff. <laughs> but um, I did a joke about Prime Minister Botha opened the beaches today to uh, black South Africans. And so they all got in after all those years. And then eight minutes later, he closed them. Out to, <laughs> past the riptide. What a great joke. That's a great joke. I love it. Boo. Oh, come on. I thought, come on, it's a killer yeah. indictment of you're apartheid. Not, yeah, because uh, that's in a what you're manner. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I always got to give Johnny Mac credit. They offered John a million dollars to play a tennis exhibition at Sun City. Ooh. When a million was still a million. And uh, he just said, he tied a sash around his head, hung it down his back like a latter-day social justice buccaneer, and said, I ain't go play some city, no, I. And yet a lot of people did go on to play Sun City. They just weren't in that video. I always hear those stories about them recording those big songs, and that, you know, like uh, Geldof's song and Quincy and Michael got yeah. together in Sun City, and they always do a thing. And then halfway through, get this, we had everybody there. Uh, Harry Belafonte was there, and uh, and uh, Klaus Vorman, and you know, they always, they always <laughs> be and, go, and get this, we ordered burgers. <laughs> yeah, just fucking people yeah. singing. Of course, you got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Bob we got fat burgers. Okay, yeah. I Bob guess. Dylan loves fat, fat burgers. burgers. Are good. Yeah, yeah. It's not like I look at Dylan and go, "He's so pure. He must eat life neko wafers." <laughs> little, little hosts of genius that he melts sublingually and then sings stuff. Have <laughs> <laughs> you? Uh, at some point, Dylan's gonna have a fucking burger. He might be sloppy with it, even. I don't know. <laughs> Have you I ever assumed Dylan was thinking I better become the poet of my generation because <laughs> I look a little shaky. And if I'm going to get laid on bleaker, I can't just do the regular stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sugar, sugar, dun, 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 dun. oh, honey, honey. Bob Zimmerman singing Cowsill songs doesn't get laid. So he used to sit down, stay up an extra three hours at night. Right? And the man came, and the woman came, and. And then I'll put it on cue cards. <laughs> All right. Have you ever seen Bob Dylan perform live? You're kidding me. Because I'm kidding me. I, I'm Bob, kidding. Listen, I meant more recently. I guess is my question. <laughs> like the last couple decades. Like, I'm doing this show right now in a barrel that an old woman <laughs> went over Niagara Falls in. Uh-huh. It, it, it barely outlines my body. <laughs> if Dylan was in the barrel with me singing. I'd invent a way to expand Scotty myself out of the barrel <laughs> with some visor vision. So, so no, have I gone to see? No, because I don't get it. To me, they, when they say it. Shakespeare, I go, "You're exactly right." I don't get fucking either of them. I saw him open for the Grateful Dead, Wait a which second. might be a mistake. I, I, can I get something on that? Lindsay was supposed to laugh. He's Shakespeare. <laughs> In that I don't get either of them. And you right away start saying, I went to see yeah. Sid and Marty Cross, the H.R. Puffin stuff. Swan. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus. it was H.R. Puffin stuff. Human relationships, Puffin stuff. <laughs> you were to report to human relations, Puffin stuff. Imagine that being reamed out for saying somebody looks nice in the morning by a fucking puppet. <laughs> uh, Sigmund. What do you say to Carol Jankowitz? Yeah! Sigmund the I, sea I just monster. Said she looked it. nice. You crazy asshole! <laughs> you can't say you look nice now. You're banished from the show. And you have to walk down the hall with all the stuff from your desk in a box. Go. Mm. It's a. It's a. It's a different time. I don't know timing on songs. I'm not a Gershwin, but it's more like. You walk out with your head down, carrying all your possessions, and you're, as you leave, you have to go. There's so many threads to pull on there, I don't even know where to go. But 
See, if I could take it to the next thing in an improv. The guy goes into a disability office mm -hmm. or uh, unemployment office, and he has to explain what he did. And he goes up to the counter, and there's another Sid and Marty Croft puppet. Run! <laughs> well, of course, no, Sigmund no, the Sea Monster. I love there. you. I wouldn't do. And that. he was wearing one of the hats from Lidsville. I'm a Tangelo. <laughs> Give me a film genre. Peck and pop. Bam. Sleep is important every day of the year, but around the holidays, it can get even harder to find time for those precious hours. Parties with friends and family, endless shopping lists, long flights. When you finally get into bed, you want to make sure you can fall asleep and stay asleep. You should try Calm, the number one app for sleep and relaxation. It can really transform your nights, which means better days. Check out sleep stories, which are like bedtime stories for adults. They can help you fall into a deep, natural sleep in minutes. Stories are narrated by iconic voices like LeVar Burton, Nick Offerman, Dennis Miller. LeVar Burton, Nick Offerman. If you go to calm.com slash Miller right now, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of sleep stories and a ton of other content like soothing music from artists like Sam Smith, guided meditations, breathing exercises, and so much more. Over 60 million people use Calm. Join them today and get the sleep you need. For a limited time, our show listeners can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Miller comes with unlimited access to Calm's entire library and and new content is added every week. Get started today at calm.com slash Miller. That's calm.com slash Miller. Well, the point I was going to make <laughs> was that uh, Bob Dylan live you have no, literally no idea what song he's playing. I'm like, I think it. I think it's like a Rolling Stone. Other people seem to know. And you uh, have to see it. Well, he opened for the Grateful Dead, which that might be a different value judgment on me. You went to the Grateful Dead, yeah. And I was just, I thought it was the one. I'm like, oh, well, I'll see Dylan. I'll see the Dead. I've never seen either of them. They I, could have said to me, the Dead are playing at the base of the pyramids tonight, <laughs> and we're in a, a a culture war. You can never go over there anymore because they'll kill you because they're nuts. <laughs> but somehow you can get in a, a running man tube and be shot to the base <laughs> of Giza to watch the show. And really, you don't even have to pay attention. Nobody's no. going to quiz you. But you can stand there at night and we'll take you into that hidden chamber where you could be trapped in there with Bob Dylan and you would somehow chisel your way out of the fucking pyramid to get away from him. Absolutely. And... Uh, do you want to go right now? And I'd say, nope, don't need to see the pyramids that much. Because <laughs> to me, uh, well, let's just say this about the death. There are no fish. <laughs> Think about fish. It, it, once you go there, their first song is their encore. <laughs> it's just one big, loose spinal tap at SeaWorld jam. And I can't, uh, I can't do that. Uh, anytime a guy's on his fifteen minutes of uh, tambourine, it's like. No. <laughs> and by the way, they've misspelled their name, fish. What? <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. P h u c k d. Fish fucked up. <laughs> I believe we've got uh, Ben Mankiewicz on the line. On the line, as they say, the kids. Beautiful Ben Mankiewicz. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you, Dennis? I'm a young kid with a dream, aren't I? <laughs> no, life. Uh, life. When life is good, life can be pretty good. Hey, listen. Um, I uh, see there's a new uh, Mankiewicz book out, and I've downloaded it to my Kindle. I haven't started reading it because I read the Julie Andrews autobiography. But there's a new book about who would they be in your family uh, lineage? It would be your great uncle. What is it? It's my grandfather and his brother, my great uncle, Herman Mankiewicz, my grandfather, and Joe Mankiewicz, uh, my great uncle. Joe was about 12 years younger. Um, we helped a little bit with the book, not in writing it, just in, in, in getting uh, uh, the writer um, some, uh, you know, getting her info, getting her pictures, sort of fact-checking stuff. 
Um, and so I'm anxious to read it. And my cousin, Nick Davis, who is my dad's sister's son and is a uh, writer, director, producer himself, produced the great uh, Ted Williams um, American Masters piece that uh, ran last year on, on PBS. It was really great. Um, and he has also written a book on the two brothers that he spent much longer on but was, didn't quite finish. And that will probably be out next year. It's like uh, it's the Mankiewicz version of, uh, you know, of, uh, of uh, what were the two, um, Dante's Peak and the Volcano. You know, they would come out within eight days of each other, and you're like, how's that possible? Yeah. <laughs> what a perfect way of putting it for film nerds. <laughs> and uh, and by the way, um, the uh, every time I read a showbiz book and uh, somebody's talking about somebody they loved and was him, Les Herman, I think it was a little further back, and I'm not saying he wasn't, uh, but Joe turns up in so many of these books. What? what what is your remembrance of him, or did you ever cross paths? I don't know the age oh, sure, thing sure. we sure. I got a couple of good Joe stories. So Joe, Joe died in '92 or '93, so I was, you know, uh, 26 years old. So I knew Joe. I certainly knew him. Oh, okay. to be, uh, terrified of him, um, and there was no real reason for it. But he just seemed so uh, imposing. And then the stories that stuck out to me were the writer's block. I mean, he directed Sleuth in 1972, and basically. Mm didn't work again. Uh, and he wasn't that old either. You know, he was like in his early 60s. Uh, Cleopatra really sort of devastated him. He made a couple movies uh, after that, including uh, a Western. There was a crooked man. I have a good story about that, too. But he um, so he was this sort of um, mythical figure. You know, I grew up in D.C. and my father was in politics and was a big deal in politics. So I didn't pay a great deal of attention to the movie part mm. of my family until I was older. No, Frank was the but, Joe Mankiewicz of uh, politics. That's right. That's right. And so the but Joe and, and my dad were close. They even looked alike. And, and Joe lived in, in New York um, and uh, sort of all my life. He left Hollywood uh, after he won those Oscars, basically, and moved to New York. And and. So it was just there was sort of like this mythic figure who didn't write anymore, and nobody quite understood why because he kept saying he was working on something. And then we'd go see him, but not that often. Um, and he'd, I remember him just yelling that it was time to come into dinner, and we weren't listening. We we're playing outside, me and my cousin Alexandra, <laughs> and thinking, "Oh God, you don't mess around with this guy." You know, like who knows what this guy is capable of. Um, but I want to tell one quick story, if I may. Oh, about, Ben, about what are you? You don't be quick. I, I'm a pig in slop. You know, I eat this so, stuff up. Take your time. So this is a cross between sort of the power of politics and the power of the movie. So mm -hmm. I applied, and the, my first choice to go to college was to go to Columbia. And uh, my dad had gone to Columbia Journalism School. My uncle Don, who was an Oscar-nominated screenwriter, and wrote Star Trek episodes and pilot of Ironside. And, like, and he went to Columbia, and Joe went to Columbia, and Herman went to Columbia. And uh, uh, like their grandfather taught, uh, taught mostly at CCNY, but also Columbia. Like the history of, of Mankiewicz is at Columbia. We had to write C attached page. Right, or other right. relatives attending Columbia. But I refused to let my father make a phone call on my behalf. Right. I am not going to use that right. privilege. That's just made an honorable me, uh, man creeped out. Right. At 18. So uh, obviously I don't get in. <laughs> right. So uh, <laughs> I get that rejection letter. That's the trouble with honorable. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I don't get it. And then I go to Tufts and I'm, you know, chasing a girl there freshman year. And my dad calls like eight weeks into the school year. I answer the phone, and he's like, he's, my dad started every conversation as if we were already 17 minutes into the conversation, right? <laughs> goes, hey, he goes, so I was talking to the uh, president of Columbia, and basically he goes, listen, you want to go to Columbia? <laughs> right? And I go, I'm I'm at a different school. It's like October 18th. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> no, I'm here. I gotta, I'm trying to get this girl, I, you know? Um, and... Uh, and, and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'll tell you a story. And so basically it involves Joe. So he'd gotten a call from somebody at the president of Columbia staff saying, hey, we're going to give Joe the Alexander Hamilton Award, which we've given to very few people. Mm -hmm. And uh, like Lou Gehrig has one, like it's one wow. of 14 people or something like that. And we want to give it to Joe, distinguished alumnus. And we thought you as another distinguished alumnus could present him with the award. And my dad said to this staffer, no. And basically hung up the phone. So the president of the university calls him back. He knows him, a little guy named Michael Sovereign. He's like, Frank, I'm so sorry if there's some trouble between you and Joe. And Joe goes, and Frank, my dad goes, what are you talking about? I love Joe. I think it's great that you're giving him the award. <laughs> and I was like, well, then why won't you give him the award? He's like, because you didn't let my 
goddamn son into the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like, what, what a Right. I didn't. I didn't know he was applying. Cause I didn't think you had to tell anyone that America was applying. Like, I didn't never know that. So guys, I'll be call you back. And like either later that day or the next day, he calls back and he goes, "Look, I checked. Ben was a worthy candidate. He could have fallen left. He could have fallen right. There are literally thousands of candidates that could go either way. If I, anybody had had any idea, the officer who looked at it didn't know. Right? Does he want to come now? Like in the middle of the term? Like they they go, we'll work it out. Just show up." It's fine. Or he can come in January. It's fine. And, uh, What'd you do? Go in January or not go? No, no, no. I was the girl one, of course. And, uh, and I felt a great deal of shame. But now I think, oh, and then so I didn't let my dad call. I got rejected from Northwestern, too. Particularly devastating. And then so my dad then, of course, since the cat's out of the bag, he calls Northwestern also. And so then when I call back later in the week, he's like, also, by the way, you can go to Northwestern, too. I made that call. <laughs> <laughs> you know like, what, Ben? How easy it is. Yeah. Everybody's looking for a way to break away from uh, the, their family. All young men like to Freud would say, you know, he went too far. He, Freud and Jim Morrison said, "Kill the father, make love to the mother." But everybody does like to demarcate. Certainly, at eighteen, you laid down a nice marker there, man. That must uh, I, I, that would resonate well in my head as I moved into my. What are you in your I, late twenties now? I, it, I, I just you, only, you only took a stand. That's right, I did. I mean, I'm glad I took the stand, but then I realized, Jesus, man. I mean, first of all, I mean, you tell, uh, there is such a thing as privilege. I mean, how we talk about it, what we do with it, uh, is, that's, a, that's a debatable issue. But, man, it, that's how easy it would have been. And, and how uh, did the Tufts, uh, the, the, the Tufts damsel work out? Is, are did oh, you, I mean, are you married? We're, we're, no, we're still, no, but we're still friends, and we dated four years. I mean, it, well, she was great. I'll even think Julie, Julie Alvarado. She was fantastic. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, what yeah. a nice story on like 18 levels. And by the way, <laughs> if Don Mankiewicz did the pilot of uh, you can see the socially conscious Mankiewicz's and uh, like Ben said, his father is a, uh, well, a good man. Let me say that. That's more important to me than any Thank party you. affiliation and stuff like that. He was always a good man and a pretty hip cat when I've read about him. He, he turns up in a lot of political tomes and he always comes off as an informed. It's like what Warren Beatty imagined himself to be, I think. But uh, if he was, if there was another Mankiewicz in charge of the pilot of Ironside, the socially conscious part comes through because I always thought even as a young person, it was such a great through line that Ironside now in a wheelchair has a black guy wheeling him around. And so it sets up the classic trope of uh, the, the white guy being serviced by the black guy. And yet he and the black guy then turn into be the best of friends and it turns the whole thing on its head. It's, it was a really sweet notion, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And there was that, 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 that through line, I think, comes through in pretty much every everybody in the uh, in the family, that was sort of drilled down uh, from the start. Certainly not specifically politics, but sort of this, you know, just this idea of uh, of justice. Uh, I think uh, comes through. You know, uh, Joe's, uh, uh, you know, gave Sidney Poitier his first role in No Way Out as a black doctor. I think in in, in the Midwest uh, who has to treat a, a horribly racist pair of brothers, uh, mm-hmm. the surviving one being uh, Richard Woodmark. Um, you know, and that sort of that that just again is a theme that when it was appropriate was uh, uh, echoed. But that was a good Joe movie. Then that that western, I, I and I, I probably told the story to you before, and if I have, forgive me. But it's quickly the started. crooked man. The, the, right, there was a crooked man. I'm at the second film festival, and Kirk Douglas is one of our guests, and he's had the stroke, so it's not easy for him to talk. This is probably nine years ago, and I'm nervous. You know, it's Kirk Douglas, and uh, and again, this is I'm, they're just starting to give me meaningful assignments to turn a classic movies, and I'm sort of in this makeshift green room with Kirk Douglas before that he bring him out on stage. And he says, you know, you're related to Joe Mankiewicz. And I'm like, yeah. And he's talking very slowly. He goes, I made a movie with Joe Mankiewicz. And, you know, and I'm like, uh, yeah, no, I know. I know. No, I'm sure a Western. He goes, it was a Western. I go, yeah, yeah, there was a crooked man. And he leans into me like anybody's going to overhear us. Right? And he's like, you know what I learned on that movie? I know what's that. He goes, Joe Mankiewicz should not make a Western. <laughs> <laughs> Great, he so good. Go. It's true. He's right. He's right. <laughs> Joe Mankiewicz should not have made a Well, Joe Mankiewicz is a, yeah. a genius, and all about Eve. Certainly, one of the uh, the most perfectly realized films I've ever seen, folks. As you listen to my friend Ben Mankiewicz from TCM Recant, you can see how he's ended up as uh, Robert Osborne's 
uh, I don't want to say replacement, heir to the, the throne. Yeah. He is the prime host over there. And, well, I could listen to him all day. I, I love the tone of his voice. I love how informed he is. I love how he doesn't take it so seriously that it turns into a Sturm and Drang. I just think uh, they, you know, uh, when, I, when Robert was going, I remember, th- you know, when I first saw Robert, I remember thinking, who's ever going to replace this cat? And they found the right guy. Although there's a quartet, there's an Avengers over there now, and they all do nice work. But ben they do, they do. It's really good. Is the uh, the guy and Eddie, by the way, Eddie with the oh, uh, the eight minute intros and outros. Where oh, I'm know, so jealous of like all the production that goes into Eddie's intros. <laughs> I mean, you know, the guy gets there on like a Thursday, and on Friday they're like, "Oh, Eddie, what can we do for you? What can we, what can we make your intros better?" Yeah. No, he's awesome. He's so smart. It gets, it gets down to, like, the craziest. And, and uh, Brian O'Hearley, Ed, Ed Hearley, he's painter, knew yeah. a guy who had gone to an acting class with Roy London, who, you know, it's like, <laughs> Jesus. Um, and, and, of course, because I, I have no, you know, I get no production done in my intros. Nobody else does except Eddie. Um, and uh, so, you know, I'll, my intros are sometimes anywhere from, like, a minute 45, two and a half minutes. And, you know, if you screw up at the very end, you know. So let's let's watch the movie from 1952, 51. Damn it, right? That's it. You go back. <laughs> go to the back. Time. No, right. With Eddie, I'm like, they got pictures. If I just take it from the part where you talk to me, Eddie, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a cutaway. That's beautiful. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But my man knows that waterfront like very oh. few. Uh, yeah, it was, he's, uh, he's great at it, too. Um, I just finished two books back-to-back. And Joe turns up in the Brando book and uh, and the Glenn Ford book. I think Joe might turn up in there. I read them back to back because they butted heads on Tea House of the August Moon, and yet they played chess together. And I, at the end of it, I thought, what what got so far up Brando's ass about Glenn Ford? So I read the Glenn Ford book right after. And I was wondering, have you read uh, The Contender yet? The, that'd be, probably be the one. You know, the other one's called Glenn Ford of Life. It's just a... That's what I... Son. Right, and that's the one I've, I've, I'm familiar with. I mean, I, I don't have a tremendous amount of, this is such a lame excuse, but I really don't have time to sit and read significant Hollywood biographies. I have so many movies to watch and, and so many different things to mm-hmm. keep in my head. That one of the regrets is that I can't, I, I'm able to do very few deep dives, and I always feel like some of the stuff I'm presenting is so, you know, uh, a mile wide, but an inch deep, you know, that. Uh, um, so uh, I'm anxious to read it because the early stuff that I learned about Glenn Ford, I mean, that he's making movies and he's a big star in the 50s. And on weekends, he's, you know, installing air conditioners and building houses because his dad insisted that right. he learn this stuff. And that, I mean, that had to set him apart uh, in Hollywood. Yeah, he's like Harrison um, Ford, I think, went on to become a carpenter and put in sound studios. For sure, because he didn't do like, Yeah, because he did it early while he wasn't working. Like, that was his, that was his, that was his work. He wasn't a waiter. He was, you know, painting houses putting stuff yeah, together. It's like, ben, I know Ben's a big baseball fan, but it's funny when you read all those old stories about baseball players and, you know, like uh, Johnny Padres will say, well, I was making nine grand, so I had to work at the off-season as a crossing guard or something. You know, you're thinking it's, it's crazy. It's you got four months off and, you know, you're right. You're barely making your house payments. Yeah, <laughs> get another job. <laughs> Well, Glenn ended up having a long boy. I can't tell if he did more movies or had more flings, but it was written by his son. So I think the kid was working on some agitel with the old man because he certainly opened his black book, a little black book to the world. The Brando book's uh, fascinating, but at some point you periodically fall out of the gravity field that Brando holds you in because he is the ultimate genius. As far as an actor goes. And then TCM did a thing four hours a few years ago. It must be in rights problems because it never comes out again. But they did a four-minute, doc, four-hour documentary on Brando that was just state-of-the-art. But occasionally you'll fall out of uh, Brando's gravitational field. Think, what a pain in the ass. What are you being such a pain in the ass for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, I mean, and that's on one level it's, you know, regrettable, like sort of with the Wells too, right? You know, I mean these yeah. guys whose genius was you know, and for Wells it transcended just acting. I mean just you know, like and again for from Citizen Kane, like for, forget the performance, which is unbelievable, and the direction, the producing, right? The production. He just his force of will, his leadership, his savvy made that happen. And then right, he's crazy right and 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 capable of incredible kindness and incredible cruelty also yeah and um but that is 
probably, you know, that's part of the genius, right? Yeah, I guess so, it I mean, goes with the turf. I mean, it's, yeah. right, it's hard. It doesn't have to, but sometimes it does. And I guess it's tough if you're in their orbit. But if we're not in their orbit, why do we care? You know, like, yeah. okay, I mean, it's fun to read about, but, hey, man, we, we it enabled this great art. Okay, good enough. Good enough for me anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to think who I consider a genius in the cinema who I don't read a lot of stuff about. And I, I guess I might have to say George Stevens always seemed like an even-headed guy. And uh, when he's done, folks, uh, you got to go back and check that filmography. That guy was a genius for 50 years or 40 years, it seems. And, and, not, uh, and, it's, you know, and it's an easier filmography to get to because George Stevens took his sweet time to make a movie. And that is probably – and it worked. Um, but, you know, I mean, he spent – better than a year on post-production on giant i mean they were done oh really and he took really? better than a year yeah he and he wouldn't be rushed he just had his own pace it was probably a little different he was deliberate before the war but first of all the great introduction to george stevens is the is the documentary his son made george yeah, stevens jr he's a great guy he was a great friend of my dad to bring things back around and uh, george stevens jr made this doc because he found this Kodachrome color footage that his dad had made during his three years in World War II. He shot officially for the, um, you know, essentially for the propaganda unit that Frank Capra run. He'd shoot uh, the the black and white footage, um, but then he had his own 16 millimeter uh, camera, Kodachrome film, and 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 he had all this color footage that he shot. It's amazing. And then George Stevens Jr. put together this documentary from D-Day, George Stevens, from D-Day to, uh, uh, from D-Day to Berlin. And, you know, he was the, the first guy with a camera to get to Dachau. Um, he was at D-Day for the landings, and it's this really amazing footage. And then Stevens' films, you know, this is a guy, last film before the war is The More the Merrier, right, right. which is great. Um, but then after the war, he's making Giant. And, yeah, you know, he came he's back. making the diary of Anne Frank, like the tone of George Stevens' movies changed completely uh, after World War Two. Yeah. Well, once you throw open the gate to that camp, your life is never, uh, yeah. ever the same, obviously. How do you come home and make anything that you would construe to be frivolous? There's a brilliant book about that, by the way, called Five Came Back, folks. It's about five of the directors who went over there under that guise. I think John Huston came back the least affected, but he probably went over there. <laughs> thinking less of mankind than some of the other people yeah, did. Right. Yeah, yeah, but, I think that's right. Uh, I mean, least effective, that's not a criticism. He was just sort of strong before and strong after. He didn't really change who he was. Uh, but yeah, Mark Harris, the writer of that book, who also wrote a great book on uh, about 1967 in Hollywood, sort of arguably the most important year post-studio system called Pictures of the Revolution. He's working on a book now about Mike Nichols, but he's a Mark Harris, great, great, great movie writer. Boy, tell him to bring his backpack on the Mike Nichols book because I just finished the oral biography and it's unbelievable. I actually am going to watch this thing they recommend in there. He did a film. It was a Wallace Shawn play called The Designated Mourner. And Mike moved to London and actually acted in this thing with Miranda Richardson. And uh, it's on YouTube. I started watching a bit of it the other night, but uh, didn't have uh, my wife didn't uh, wanted to watch something else, so I'm, I've got it saved. But it's Mike Nichols, one acting thing, and Meryl Streep says she believes it's the best acting she's ever seen. So little nuggets like that. I hope Mr. Harris comes with his backpack because that oral history is unbelievable. A quality wristwatch is one of those small things that every guy needs. When you've got a nice watch, it changes the way you carry yourself and therefore the way people look at you. You need to check out our newest sponsor, Vincero Watches. Vincero Watches creates exceptionally crafted watches and they do it without breaking the bank. You're not going to find a better made watch for this good of a price anywhere. Whether you're a watch connoisseur or looking for your first time piece, a Vincero watch is going to exceed your expectations and make you feel like the leader of the pack. Vincero is offering 15% off your entire order with code when you use code MILLER. Just head to Vincero, V-I-N-C-E-R-O, watches.com slash Miller, and then use code MILLER, for 15% off. This is our first time working with Vincero. Guys were nice enough to send Christian and I watches, threw in a gift for my wife as well, and they are the real deal. I got the rose and brown, as did my bride. 
uh, Christian, he can speak for himself, but they are amazing. Vincero is the best value in the industry, honestly speaking. If I didn't know how much it would cost, I would have guessed 500 to $700, but these guys sell for just a fraction of that. These bold luxury watches are the perfect conversation starter. Why? Because they immediately establish the person who's wearing them as the most ambitious, pioneering, and interesting person in the room. With collections ranging from dress watches to sports watches, Vincero is a style for every look, occasion, and price point. Even if you claim to not be a watch guy, Vincero has a style that'll change your mind. Plus, all straps are interchangeable, giving you more versatility and freedom to create a style that perfectly fits you. Vincero has over 18,000 five-star reviews. You know you're going to get a great product and great customer service, and the best part is they offer free worldwide shipping. Exclusively for listeners of this podcast, Vincero is giving you 15% off your purchase. The bottom line is a great watch tells the world what you're all about, so go to VinceroWatches.com forward slash Miller and use code Miller to save an extra 15%. That's Vincero, V-I-N-C-E-R-O, watches.com slash Miller. Code Miller for 15% off. Now, Ben, I have to share something interesting with you. I was just in Sri Lanka. I was staying in a hotel, and simultaneously, um, I, was re- I was finishing up this brilliant David Lean book, and it said that David Lean did not shoot Bridge on the River Kwai. There is a bridge on the River Kwai in Thailand, but he shot it in Sri Lanka because they couldn't get the shots they wanted. I looked it up. This small town was two and a half hours from the hotel I was in. I rented a car one day, went out there. There's no signs or anything. This is, what, 60 years old at this point. Um, right. We talked to a local. My driver is a Sri Lankan. He talks to a local and he motions up the road. We go past this industrial plant. I don't know what the hell it was, but I can see the main shot. You know, I'm standing on this new bridge looking where the bridge was shot. And I said, oh, I, I know that look. But I said, is there any actual bridge left? Because it gets blown up. The guy, most, we, we walk around 30 minutes up the road and past this industrial plant, go into the jungle a little and I, there's a picture of it on my uh, Instagram. There's one big uh, frame from the bridge left. It's all rusted out like the Titanic. It's metal. It wasn't the bridge that went over the ground. It was the, the train track leading up to it. That's all that's left right now. People don't even give a shit. I've got a picture of it, and I felt it, like it, I, should tell, it, I should tell Ben this. This will matter oh, to him. So I great. tell other it, people, and they look at me like, what the fuck are you doing? And I said, Ben will like this. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. Was it like had it fallen, or was it still sort of the edge of the bridge? Then the you know before the span. It was right where the you 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 could tell it was where the metal part went on to the wood part because it was standing. It had some frames standing up, and at the bottom were train tracks like. And uh, it's all that's left. And I said to the when I was leaving, I ran into a guy who ran ran a rafting thing there. It's a rafting place now. And I said, I just went up and he's oh, you went and saw the last piece of bird. I said, yeah, he was speaking English. And I said, why isn't this advertised? He said, Dennis, we're in Sri Lanka. It's a. you know, he, he said it's not a big thing to them that there was a film here in 1959. <laughs> He's there, so we're running rafting trips. They're trying to eat. You know what I mean? It's so right. Uh, yeah, it, uh, well, but good for you for uh, uh, good for you for going. And I, by the way, any story that begins, uh, I was in Sri Lanka. It usually ends well um, as a story. <laughs> so uh, and, and it does. You came through again. Yeah. Now, we're talking to uh, my friend Ben Mankwitz. He is the host of TCM and uh, does uh, an exemplary job. I don't even know how much time, but I, I do want to ask you one question about I can't believe that even this. See, to me, it points out the insipid nature of the uh, the comic book world that they just don't take this in the manner given by Scorsese. It wasn't a scolding. It wasn't a, a no. an ass whipping. No. It was just sort of an observation. I thought a quasi astute one. And when I see these young filmmakers standing up and saying, "Well, Martin Scorsese, obviously," and you're thinking, "What do you mean, Martin Scorsese doesn't fucking have a clue? Wake up! He's Martin Scorsese." So, what do you make of I, the kerfuffle? I don't uh, like to participate in general in uh, the trashing of. Uh, the press corps because I think they're under assault and I think it's a particularly difficult time. And all the information we get in general comes from people who do their reporting for a living. But sometimes, obviously, things get spun out of control. Scorsese says something totally interesting. If I'd been a PR advisor to him and he'd listened to me, I would have said, 
don't use the word cinema, right? Because that sounds, that mm-hmm. will be perceived as elitist, right? But that's how Scorsese talks. He didn't mean it elitist. That's literally, probably uses the word cinema 31 times a day, right? Um, <laughs> so because it comes, because it tackles these Marvel movies and it seems like, oh, there's highbrow Scorsese, it gets sort of jumped on that he ripped the movies. Most people didn't even read the full quote and certainly then his wonderful uh, opinion piece, which I guess was in the Times, I think, um, uh, sort of explaining it. And therefore, they're reacting to something that didn't really happen. When, look, man, if you can't have a valid conversation about whether these movies are the right, mm-hmm. are, are, is good for the future, I'll say it now, of cinema, then that's, then it's crazy. Of course you should. And of course they aren't. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be. Yeah, a lot of I people, love just... them, God bless, but they shouldn't. They dominate the landscape. That's not. That's not good for any of us. It's not good for any of us who love movies. Yeah, which is I'm, really all. Sometimes, I'm disheartened that we've used social media, which seems like a great opportunity to have some interesting chats. The shutdown chat. It, it, it seems so weird to me. Everybody's so uptight. That's hardly an aberrant notion. Him saying, "I think of the more theme parks." I thought, "Oh, that's cool," and I thought they'd talk about it, but no, it immediately yeah. becomes a, a right Peshaw or Tisk Tisk thing. Hey, what's uh, what's the mothership? What's TCM have up for Thanksgiving, Ben? What do you guys? Uh, we got? have, uh, you know, uh, we have a lot going. We had a lot going on this month. Well, first of all, for me, it started with. Uh, with a, a, a Bruce Springsteen, so that was a it was a nice, nice, nice a moment yeah. for me going up to Jersey to talk to him about his wonderful film Western Stars, and he picked a John Ford movie, The Searchers, and uh, uh, and a Face in the Crowd, another Kazan film. We were talking about uh, on the waterfront, um, and uh, we had Sterling K. Brown this month, Julie, Julie Andrews this month, um, and then come December, which is right around the corner. Of course, we'll have you know abundance nonstop. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Christmas films and, and holiday films, and, and it's great. You know, and 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 it, every year it makes sense. Every year it works. These are movies I'm comfortable, you know, showing my daughter and that she's into. Um, you know, I, uh, 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 you know, if you, everybody loves Christmas in Connecticut. You know, Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. You know, I know who's your buddy. He stopped me uh, at. Uh, like, I don't know, the Golden Globes or something like two years ago. And, you know, I don't know what to say because that's Tom Hanks. And I get all nervous like an idiot. And, <laughs> and, uh, and he's such a nice, regular guy. And he's like, oh, my God, I just saw, you know, uh, uh, Christmas in Connecticut for the first time. I can't believe I've never seen it before. Barbara Stanwyck, oh, my God. Somebody mm-hmm. has to come on at Christmas and talk about how great she is. And I'd love to do that. And you're like, Tom? Um, literally, uh, you... we'll stop what we're doing for you. Like, yeah, you're not, you know who you are? Yeah, yeah. It's like Walt Alston with Maury Wills. Tom, you have a perpetual green light, but yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. You can steal uh, at will. Yeah, that's right. You don't. I don't care. Third, whatever. Don't care. One out. You steal third with the two outs. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I love the film with uh, how beautiful young Janet Lee with Bob Mitchum in that Christmas film. I don't even. Uh, I can't remember the name of that's a holiday affair. Yeah. It's and, a and that's a, Preston, that's a Preston Sturgis script. Am I wrong? Oh, no, no. I didn't I'm thinking know of, that. no, no, no. Remember the night with uh, with Stanwick and uh, Fred McMurray is the Preston oh, right, Sturgis right. script. Yeah, uh, but it's, uh, uh, but Holiday Affair is great. It's great. And she is so beautiful in that. Well, listen, my friend. Um, and by the way, just on the way out the door, Chris, my producer Christian follows you on Twitter, and he he mentioned this. Uh, well, Christian deemed it a controversial food opinion, but I can't tell you how I, I am. I am the blue angels here flying four inches off your wing in agreement on this one. The hostess cupcake to me also better than any cupcake can get anywhere else on earth. Please explain your feelings on it. Well, I mean, first of all, it was having a controversial food opinion. Like cupcakes, first of all, not that good. Just in general. Like, I mean, you make too much of a fuss of cupcakes, right? It's like the, yes. they're the Marvel movies of food. Like, <laughs> right? Regular cake is fine. It's good. It's moist. It's yeah. delicious. Um, like enough with the cupcakes and the sprinkles and the, with co- not just the company, but the actual sprinkles. And there's something, the, 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 by the way, the hostess cupcake, best, I must say, refrigerated, but eat however you like it. Um, mm. uh, I don't know. It's got that cream filling, which is obviously is not actual food and not a dairy product. Certainly it's like cream, <laughs> C-R-E-M-E, you know, um, uh, but it's just a perfect blend. It's a perfect size. Mm-hmm. And now we think we can make it uh, better with, you know, actual 
baked goods, and I uh, I say no. No, I, you can't. I agree with you, Ben. I love how the chocolate just goes over the side just a little, like a nice French onion soup, and the yeah, that's right. Oh, the chocolate. It's the and the ratio. It's like the original yes. Oreo. Like, don't double stuff my Oreo. You have it right. <laughs> the, that's the wafer cream uh, uh, breakdown is perfect in the original. I don't don't double the cream. Can I say one I, thing about you because you were so kind to me? Yes. Go ahead. Go right ahead. So, <laughs> Talk about me as young Ben. Um, so the, the, the uh, you know, you said uh, my voice at TCM, and then you've been really super supportive of uh, from me for years uh, uh, while Robert was alive and, and, and through now, and I'm very appreciative for that. But my voice as a television host, which really came to be in a place I worked in Miami, was really in large part uh, based on uh, you and and Kevin Nealon and Norm Macdonald and this idea that you could sort of be yourself while delivering first the news and now this uh, and maintain sort of a degree of can you believe this? It literally in everything uh, that you say and and it played a you know uh, along with Letterman really a, a, a very critical role in how I learned to be myself on air. Um, which wow, you know, thank because, you, Ben. When you go on Delta, when you go on air, you think you have to, you know, you put on airs. You try to do something that's not you. Um, and I, through you guys, I, I really came to realize, no, no, I, this works. Just be who you are. So I'm um, very. Well, very, listen, very, very, thank you very much. And when and when the powers that be at TCM come to you, and you're emulating Norm, and they say no more OJ jokes, just roll with it. No more OJ. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, great job this month, by the way, on uh, uh, with uh, with your guests. They were all. Uh, uh, they were all Thank uh, you, my uh, friend. fantastic. It was a lot of fun to watch. The wonderful Ben Mankiewicz, he is the primary host. Well, I'm just going to call him the host. I like the other people. I'm not demarcating there. Uh, the, his name's Dave Carter. He seems sweet, and I, I love Eddie. I yes. said earlier. And the, the woman's, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just blanking on her name. Alicia, Alicia Malone. She's awesome. She's uh, Aussie, I think, or somewhere down she's, there. She's, but, uh, she's Aussie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, she's doing a great job, but Ben's the man. They tent pull around him, and it uh, it couldn't be a cozier fit. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, yep. Kwanzaa, uh, <laughs> the the Hanukkah, whatever, Ben. But uh, Bob, you know, Mer- Merry Christmas to you too. Thank you, man. Huge fan. Take care. Thanks, Young Ben Mankiewicz. Young and ben does Mankiewicz. a bang up job over there. Uh, what he, um, the last of the Dennis Miller and Friends, by the way, will be this Friday, and Jay Leno will be with us, and we'll be watching Sullivan's Travels, A Face in a Crowd, and Marty, and I always thought they should remake Marty with Marty Short. <laughs> Just uh, make no other change in the film except Marty instead of Ernie Borgnine, and I think you'd have a different world. Thank you, young Ben Mankiewicz, for joining us this hour. Christmas season coming up on TCM. Give it a tumble. Thanks for listening to the Dennis Miller Option, exclusively on Westwood One. Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. (laughs) 